It's time for Talk Law Radio with Todd Marquardt. Todd Marquardt, attorney at law in Texas. If you're a millionaire or a thousandaire, Talk Law Radio is now on the air. Call in with your business law question, your elder law question. Veteran aid, Medicaid, build a business to get paid. 210-308-8867. Or ask a question online at marquardlawfirm.com. That's M-A-R-Q-U-A-R-D-T, lawfirm.com. And now, it's Talk Law Radio with Todd Marquardt. Today's Sunday edition follows yesterday's show in which I interviewed Carlos Garcia about his trucking business and his philosophy about life insurance and financial security. I'll discuss uh, the basic principles today about the law of irrevocable life insurance trusts. Lawyers and financial planners often refer to this these trusts as eyelids. I stands for irrevocable. L stands for life. I stands for insurance. And T stands for trust. I-L-I-T, eyelid, that's irrevocable life insurance trust. I'll talk about a famous 1968 court case, Crummy versus Commissioner of Internal Revenue, Then I'll talk about the modern uses for this life insurance trust. Welcome to the Sunday edition of Talk Law Radio. I'm Todd Marquardt on KLUP 930 AM The Answer. And you can also listen on podcasts everywhere or stream from www.talklawradio.com. This is going to be a great show. Listen to Talk Law Radio every Sunday and Saturday morning at 11 o'clock in the morning on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. Podcasts everywhere, Facebook Live, YouTube, and TalkLawRadio.com. Before we get started talking about the law, let's begin with prayer. Dear God, thank you for this day. Thank you for all the gifts and blessings that you give to us. Please forgive us for our sins, for our mistakes, for doing the wrong thing or failing to follow your will. Please help me give good information about irrevocable life insurance trusts today. Help me to use the gifts and talents you have provided for the good of your people, for our own good, and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Now it's time to discover your legal issue blind spots by listening to me talk about the law on the radio. Marquardt Law Firm is sponsoring our show today, and attorneys at Marquardt Law Firm focus on business and estate law, including last wills, living trusts, and tax-protected inheritance plans. New businesses and old businesses, which might have issues with corporations, contracts, LLCs, family-limited partnerships, and we can represent those who are facing problems from lack of planning, like in district court, county court, or probate court. The primary objective of an irrevocable life insurance trust is to make proceeds of life insurance policies available to trust beneficiaries in a manner that will not subject the policy proceeds to federal estate tax upon the death of the insured and if married upon the death of the insured spouse. Another common objective of the trust is to qualify transfers of assets or money to the trust, which will most likely be used for the payment of insurance premiums 
for the federal annual gift tax exclusion. This may be accomplished through the use of crummy withdrawal rights. Crummy is the name of that court case, and we'll talk about that in just a moment. Some, well, I'll talk about the modern uses of the trust after we talk about this court case. On February 12, 1962, D. Clifford Crummy, the petitioner, signed an irrevocable living trust for the benefit of his children, him and his wife. And the dispute revolves around the tax years of 1962 and 1963. Each of them, um, Mr. and Mrs. Crummy, filed a gift tax return for each year, and each of them claimed a $3,000 per beneficiary tax exclusion under the provisions of 26 U.S.C. Section 2503. So let's look at that section now. 26 uh, United States Code Section 2503 is the taxable gifts section of the Internal Revenue Code. The general definition provides uh, the term taxable gifts to mean the total amount of gifts made during a calendar year less the deductions provided in subchapter C, section 2522 and following. Subsection B, exclusion from gifts in general, states, in the case of gifts other than gifts of future interests and property made to any person by the donor during the calendar year, the first $10,000 of such gifts to such person shall not for purposes of subsection A, be included in the total amount of gifts made during such year. You're already saying, I thought it was higher than $10,000 per year. And you're right, because uh, subsection B2 says inflation adjustment. In the case of gifts made in a calendar year after 1998, the $10,000 amount contained in paragraph 1 shall be increased by an amount equal to $10,000 multiplied by the cost of living adjustment determined under section 1F3 for such calendar year. If any amount as adjusted under the preceding sentence is not a multiple of $1,000, such amount shall be rounded to the next lowest multiple of 1000 so this year, uh, the annual exclusion amount is $17,000 per person per year. And that's what Mr. and Mrs. Crummy, well, that's the section of the code that back in 1962-1963 uh, was only $3,000 per person per year. And that's the what's being challenged here is whether they get the exclusion amount. The Commissioner of Internal Revenue determined that each of the petitioners was entitled to only one $3,000 exclusion for each year. This determination was based upon the Commissioner's belief that the portion of the gifts in trust for the children under age 21 were quote-unquote future interests which are disallowed under Section 2503B. So let's go back to 2503, section 
B does say B1 in the case of gifts other than gifts of future interests and in property. So let's define what a future interest is. Traditionally, gifts to, a, to an irrevocable trust did not qualify for the annual gift tax exclusion under Internal Revenue Code Section 2503B because they are not gifts of a present interest. They're gifts of a future interest because presently the beneficiaries do not spend the money on themselves. After they, after that irrevocable trust um, springs to life and grants them uh, the ability to enjoy some of the assets, that's when they receive the interest. And this, the way this irrevocable trust was set up, they would not be able to enjoy those interests until sometime in the future. A gift will be deemed to be a future interest gift if the use, possession, or enjoyment of the gifted property is delayed for a future date. To constitute a present interest, on the other hand, the person receiving the gift, in the case of an irrevocable trust, the beneficiary of that trust, must have the unrestricted right to the immediate use, possession, or enjoyment of the gifted property. Let's go back to the crummy court case. In this trust, the, the court noted that there was a provision within this irrevocable life and uh, It wasn't called a life insurance trust. It was called an irrevocable living trust. The provision stated... With respect to such additions, each child of the trustors may demand at any time, up until including December 31st of the year in which a transfer to his or her trust has been made, the sum of $4,000. So this is what we call a demand right. And so this trust contained that. Going back to the, the court opinion, the issue was, whether or not a present interest was given by the petitioners, Mr. and Mrs. Crummy, to their minor children so as to qualify for the annual gift tax exclusion. The law at the time, there was a Treasury regulation of gift tax under Section 25.2503-3 stating a future interest for the purpose of Section 2503B is a legal term and includes reversions, remainder, and other interests or estates, whether vested or contingent, and whether or not supported by a particular interest or estate, which are limited to commence in use, possession, or enjoyment at some future date or time. Okay, so going back to the... the the case, the, the court uh, used the following in their analysis. They cited a previous uh, United States Supreme Court case called Fondren versus Commissioner of Internal Revenue. That was cited at 324 U.S. 18. That was 1945. The Supreme Court stated that the important question is what, when enjoyment begins. 
There the court held that gifts to an irrevocable trust for the grantor's minor grandchildren were were future interests where income was to be accumulated and the corpus and the accumulations were not to be paid until designated times commencing with each grandchild's 25th birthday. The trustee was authorized to spend the income or invade the corpus during the minority of the beneficiaries only if need were shown. The facts demonstrated that need had not occurred and was not likely to occur. The court also cited to a court case called George W. Perkins. That was a a tax court case, 27TC601 from 1956, where the tax court stated that were the parents capable of making the demand and there was no showing that demand could be resisted, the gift was of a present interest. This approach also seems to be the basis of the right to enjoy language. So this goes to that demand right that I was talking about before. The most frequently used method to qualify a gift to an irrevocable trust as a gift of a present interest is this so-called crummy withdrawal power. This court case and uh, what the petitioners, Mr. and Mrs. Crummy, and their attorneys had drafted that trust with this certain provision that said that the children could withdraw up to $4,000 a year. That's the demand right. And the the Crummy case uh, is precedent for allowing us in present day to do the same thing. And so attorneys and financial planners will refer to it as a Crummy power. It's the demand right of the beneficiary. The withdrawal power The demand to withdraw money from the trust power turns a future interest gift into a present interest gift, and that power was named for this case. The trust in Crummy did not require notice of the withdrawal rights to be given to minor beneficiaries, and notice was apparently not given. The IRS disallowed interest deduction for gifts to the minors on the basis that the withdrawal rights were illusory position upheld by the tax court. The Ninth Circuit reversed, however, holding that a present interest existed so long as there was an enforceable demand right. So that's what helps make this possible is uh, you, you can get the annual gift tax deduction so long as you give your beneficiaries the right to withdraw money from there. Now, if the beneficiaries actually did that, they would get much less money than they would otherwise get from the, the trust once the it becomes uh, available to them. So let's say uh, if, it, if it were me and I were creating this trust for uh, my children— it would be like where I give them the right to withdraw $17,000 from the trust, but after I die, they might be there might be over a million dollars in that trust that they could have access to. So many times the beneficiaries know that it's not worth them 
taking $17,000 and giving up the right to the rest because uh, presumably the person who set up the trust would not be happy with the beneficiary actually exercising their withdrawal right and and so would change that trust uh, term so that other beneficiaries would uh, get the share instead of the the one who was exercising the withdrawal right. So the, the person that creates the trust merely has to give the beneficiaries the right to withdraw. Uh, the beneficiaries don't have to actually exercise their right to make that withdrawal. And so now I'd like to talk about why this is important, modern uses. Well, back in the olden days, uh, when the federal estate tax exclusion amount was much lower, um, this, this year you, you don't have to pay federal estate tax unless uh, your total estate exceeds $12 million dollars. Well, it used to be $600,000. If you had more than $600,000 in assets, everything above that you would have to pay federal estate tax on. And so back in the old days, these irrevocable life insurance trusts were used more often because the proceeds of the life insurance were not included in the gross value of the estate. Whereas if, if you don't put it into an irrevocable life insurance trust, the gross value of the proceeds is includable in your gross estate. Now, many financial planners get this all confused. They say, well, wait a second. I was taught that the proceeds of a life insurance uh, policy are not taxable. Well, that's partially correct. The, po- the proceeds of a life insurance policy are not taxable to the beneficiary. They don't have to pay federal income tax on that. But if the total assets of the, the deceased person exceed $12 million, then the estate does have to pay a federal estate tax. And so you have to be very careful about which tax you're talking about and is it the estate or is it the beneficiary that's going to have to pay a tax. So let's say, um, just as an example, that there's a woman named Lexi who has an estate that's, say, $15 million. And she establishes an irrevocable life insurance trust of, uh, say, $3 million. So that's outside of her estate. Well, when she passes away, she has, just using round numbers, an extra uh, $3 million above the estate tax exemption amount. Well, that $3 million is going to be subject to a 40% tax. Well, the executor of her estate can borrow money from this irrevocable life insurance trust uh, to pay the tax on that $3 million, whatever uh, 40% of $3 million, I guess it would be something like $1.2 million. 
That's sort of how it works. And it would be more important, I think, if the person that passed away were land rich and cash poor. And the reason I know this is because I read about it in an article in the newspaper uh, right after I started practicing law. I think it was in 2007, and uh, there was uh, this beneficiary who had inherited his grandfather's ranch, and the value of the ranch exceeded the federal estate tax exemption amount, Um, but there wasn't a lot of money to pay the tax. And so the grandson had to sell the ranch to pay the tax. Now, he didn't lose everything. He had some money left, and hopefully he he bought another ranch. But um, I would imagine that it's not the same thing. There's There might be memories associated with that ranch. Uh, it was certainly something that his grandfather cherished and wanted him to have. And I would imagine he was disappointed that he didn't get it. I also know that that the deceased person in this scenario was an attorney, and he wrote his own will and didn't include anything that would help him save on federal estate taxes. And so this was a case of uh, mistakes made by a do-it-yourself, and the fact that he was an attorney does not make him immune to mistakes. Um, Not every attorney out there Uh, knows all the ins and outs of estate planning and probate and estate taxation. And it would be better for them to go to one of their colleagues or friends and get the right things done so that their grandchildren or, or other beneficiaries don't suffer the same fate. I happen to know somebody else that went through something very similar An attorney owned a ranch. He did nothing, no estate planning, and uh, upon his death, the value of the ranch exceeded the federal estate exemption amount, and part of of the ranch had to be sold to pay that federal tax, and it was disappointing for the family. And I'm just reiterating, I'm standing on my soapbox, please don't let that happen to you. Some other uses uh, for the life insurance trust, if you have rapidly appreciating assets, even if you're below the federal estate tax exemption amount, if it's within the realm of possibilities that your estate could grow, or if it's within the realm of possibilities that the Congress could reduce the exemption amount, then you could use a life insurance trust, an irrevocable life insurance trust to plan for this and make sure that nothing bad happens to your estate. Make sure that the inheritance that you intend actually gets taken care of. Another thing that's coming up is the uh, Tax Cuts and Jobs Act that was passed in 2017 is set to expire at the end of 2025. And so the $12 million federal estate tax exemption amount is going to be reduced just by operation of sunset 
it goes back to the the pre-2017 amount of $5 million, which will be adjusted for inflation. And estate planning attorneys expect that that calculation will result somewhere around $6 million. So if if you are over $6 million, then this might be a good planning tool for you. And it would be a good planning tool for you if you have highly appreciated assets. You can use an irrevocable trust to help protect against creditors, judgments, liens. Uh, you do have to balance that uh, protection against the uh, fraudulent, fraudulent Transfers Act. Uh, you can't intentionally uh, shield your assets from creditors that you know that are existing at the time that you sign this type of trust. Okay, well, I have to wrap up today's show. I enjoyed talking with you about the uh, life insurance trust, the irrevocable life insurance trust known as the ILET, and also talking to you about the crummy case which uh, helped us figure out how to turn a future interest into a present interest. That's all for today. I'll talk to you later. Calling all business owners and industry leaders seeking to elevate your brand and align with a highly targeted audience. Talk Law Radio invites you to partner with us in bringing in-depth interviews with expert guests, thought-provoking discussions, and practical advice on a variety of matters to the listening audience. Let us get your business name out into the community. Log on to TalkLawRadio.com to find out how you can become a sponsor. That's TalkLawRadio.com.